Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And good evening, and we meet again, still on Zoom. Fortunately, we can meet and we can learn together even by virtual and electronic means. And we are studying the story of Yaakov leaving Beersheba on his way to Haran, or maybe he even got to Haran, as we will see tonight. And he has a dream, and he dreams of a ladder with angels going up and down. And then we read in Pasuk Yud Zayin, Vayira, and he was afraid, Vayomar, and he said, Ma nora hamakom hazer, how, well, let's leave it as uh, awesome, Rashi's going to comment on that, but we're a while before we get there, um, how awesome is this place? That's awesome in the proper sense of the word, as in full of awe, rather than the teenage sense of the word, as in generally good. Ein zeh ki im bet elokim. Interesting double negative there. This is not other than the house of God, the zeh sha'ar hashamayim. And this is the gate of heaven. Now, I promised you this is going to be a long and somewhat complex Rashi. Uh, there's a few things we need to say before we head into it. Rashi has already said on the opening words, that he set off for Haran, but hadn't got there yet. And Rashi said that he came to Hamakom, and the definite article implies it's a place already designated. It is the same of which Abraham said, Hamakom he saw the place from afar, that is the same place, and it is Har Hamaria. So Yaakov was on his way to Haran. He didn't get all the way. He stopped in Har Hamaria and had his dream. That's what Rashi has set up till now. But now Rashi is going to go perhaps in a different way. The next thing to say is, now normally I'd, I'd like to read the whole Rashi and then discuss what's Rashi's problem, but this one is... Uh, so long, by the time we get to the end of it, we'll have completely forgotten the beginning of it. So I'm going to do it slightly differently. I'm going to say, what is Rashi's problem? And Rashi's problem comes from comparing what we're reading here to Pasuk Yud Tet. So if I just jump, just two Pasukim ahead, we'll say more on Pasuk Yud Tet. Well, actually, there's no Rashi, so we won't say much on Pasuk Yud Tet later on. But we'll mention it now, because after Yaakov has a few things to say, we read, Vayikra et Shem HaMakom HaHu Bet El. He called the name of the place Bet El, Ve'olam, but Luz, Shem Ha'ir L'Rishonah. Luz was the name of the city beforehand. So, he's in a place which was previously called Luz, and from now on it's going to be called Bet El. That's what we read in Pasuk Yotet. In which case, how can it be that he had his dream on Ha'amariah? Because when he get, wakes up, he doesn't say this is Ha'amariah. He doesn't say this is Yerushalayim. He says this is Luz. And now it's going to be called Beit El. So is it Luz stroke Beit El, or is it Ha Hamaria? So Rashi is going to answer that. And his answer is going to fall in two ways. Uh, first of all, he's going to give one answer, and then he's going to say, and the Gemara gives another answer, and I will explain what the Gemara says. So let's go. On the words, Ki Im Bet Elohim, this is nothing other than Bet Elohim, the house of God. So remember, that's the question. How can it be Bet Elohim if it's Luz? Amar Rabbi Elazar, Beshem Rabbi Yossi ben Zimra. Hasulam Hazer Omed Beber Sheva. 
This ladder, it stood in Beersheba, the Emza Shipua, and the middle of its uh, diagonal leaning, Magia Keneged Bet Hamikdash, reached corresponding to the Bet Hamikdash, um, and well, so so we've got two points on the ladder. First of all, its foot is in Beersheba. Now, why is its foot going to be in Beersheba? Because he had the dream as soon as he left Beersheba. He left Beersheba, and he came to the place Vayelensham Vayachalom. He he spent the night there, and he had a dream. So we can assume that the ladder starts where the dream was, where he just left Beersheba. Then it says the middle of the ladder was corresponding to the Bet Mikdash. And how do we know the middle of the ladder is corresponding to the Bet Mikdash? And where's the top of the ladder? Well, Rashi continues. Sheba'er Sheva Omed Bidroma Shel Yehuda. So we have a little bit of a geography lesson. So I should say for a moment that uh, Rashi quotes geography from time to time. It's interesting that his sources for geography are always, always from the Tanakh. How do I know that somewhere is north of somewhere else? Because I can work it out from a Pasuk in the Tanakh. I just want to mention that by contrast with the Ramban, for instance, who says, uh, talks about geography of Eretz Israel and doesn't find a Pasuk in the Tanakh. And that might be for one of two reasons or both. Number one, the Ramban lived in Eretz Israel and Rashi didn't. Rashi lived in medieval times. Um, map making was in its infancy and he probably didn't know what Eretz Israel looked like. Uh, the Ramban did because he lived there. The other thing is, I think it's, it's, it's something about um, Rashi's philosophy. If it's a fact that I can know, I will know it from the Chumash or the Tanakh or the Gemara. That's my source of information. So if I want to tell you something about the geography of Eretz Israel, I will prove it by the one and only source, which is the Tanakh. So he says here, Bereshevah Omed Bedroma Shel Yehuda. Bereshevah is in the south of Yehuda. Yerushalayim Bitzfona. And Yerushalayim is in the north of Yehuda. Bigvul Shebein Yehuda Ubinyamin. Yerushalayim is on the border between Yehuda and Binyamin, which is why part of the Bet Mikdash was in Yehuda and part was in Binyamin. And we know that's north of the south, and Beersheva is in the south. So from Beersheva to Yerushalayim is going north. Ubet El Haya Betzafon Shonachalat Binyamin. And Bet El, which we're assuming is a separate place from Yerushalayim, is in the north of the inheritance of Binyamin. So going north, we've got from the bottom Beersheva, Yehuda. At the top of Yehuda is uh, Yerushalayim. Going north of Yerushalayim is Binyamin. And at the top of Binyamin is Beit El. How do we know that? Begvul Shebein Binyamin Uben Bnei Yosef. We know that the Beit El is between, uh, on the border between Binyamin and the sons of Yosef, i.e. Menashe in particular. How do we know that? Because in Yehoshua Perot Yudchet, it actually says so. In Yehoshua Perot Yudchet, Pasuk Yud Aleph, it says, Vayal Goral The border of Matei Bnei Yamim went up. And then in Pasuk Yud Gimel, it says, regarding that border of Binyamin, Va'avar Misham HaGavol Luza, the border went to Luz, El Ketev Luza Negba Hi Bet El to the edge of Luz in the south, that is Bet El. So we know from the Pesukim that not only is uh, Binyamin above Yehuda, i.e. north of Yehuda, but on the border, north border of Binyamin is Luz, which is also Bet El. 
So, continues Rashi. Um, sorry, I should have drawn a picture, but it wouldn't have worked on the recording anyway. But the picture would have shown Betel, sorry, Beersheva, Yehuda, Yerushalayim, Binyamim, Betel, in one line going northwards, from Beersheva in the south to Betel in the north, with Yerushalayim in the middle. So that's why he can say, Nimtza Tzulam Sheraglav Beersheva. So it turns out that a Tzulam, a um, um, uh, ladder, with its foot in Beersheva, Veroshoba Betel, and its head in Betel, Magia Emsa Shepua Neged Yerushalayim. The middle of the elevation is opposite Yerushalayim. So on the ground, Yerushalayim is roughly in the middle between Beersheva in the south and Bet El in the north. That's what that little geography proved. And in um, so if there's a ladder at an angle with its foot in Beersheva, the top will be at Bet El and the middle will be in um, uh, Yerushalayim. And that's why the middle of the ladder corresponded to Yerushalayim. This is Rashi's first answer. Beit El is a different place from Yerushalayim. He was sleeping in Beit El. Yes, I know I said he had the dream when he left Beersheba. Nobody seems to, or nobody I found explains how he gets from Beersheba to Beit El. But when he wakes up, he says, this is Beit El. And it's also related to Yerushalayim because that's the middle of the ladder. Now, I want, uh, so the first thing to say is Rashi seems to be changing his mind from what he said earlier. What he said earlier was the dream that took place actually at Har Hamaria. Um, different ways of analyzing what Rashi is doing here. The Maharal says explicitly the Rashi has gone to a different position in order to make the particularly Pasuk Yud Zion and Pasuk Yud Tet fit together, which is the dichotomy between Zer Shah Hashemayim, Zer Bet Elokim, Bet Elokim, this is the house of God, and yet he's in Beit El which happens to mean the house of God, but it's not what he refers to as Beit Elokim. So he wakes up in Beit El, but he refers to the middle of the ladder, which is Yerushalayim, which is the Beit Mikdash, as um, the Ein Ki in Beit Elokim, the HaShemayim. Okay, I want to share a comment of the Maharal, and, and I want to say the following. Um, this year has been going on for nearly three years, and many of you here have been devotees of the year for nearly three years. If you only ever heard one comment of the Maharal, it will be, and to make it worthwhile, it's this one. The comment the Maharal I want to share is, in my opinion, makes all the hours you spent listening to the Shia worth it for this one point. He says like this. He says, why wasn't the ladder vertical to go from earth up to heaven? He said it wasn't vertical because earth and heaven are fundamentally different. And this fits in very much with the Maharal's philosophy that there is the world of the utterly nivdal, utterly separate, utterly non-physical, utterly totally spiritual, and there is the world of physicality, which is the where, where the Chomer is. And to some extent, never twain shall meet. They are fundamentally different. They are two worlds. This is a major theme that occurs throughout the Maharal's philosophy. Had it been, says the Maharal, a vertical ladder, then it would have been as if you could just jump from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven, but you can't because they're fundamentally different. So that's why the ladder's at an angle. It doesn't just go vertically like a, like a lift. But Yerushalayim is in the middle of the ladder because the Bet HaMikdash is the point that joins heaven and earth. It is, the Bet HaMikdash in that sense is not part of earth and it's not part of heaven, it's in the middle. Because we go to the Bet Mikdash, 
we offer korbanot, we offer tefillot, we receive brachot. That's our connection point to the world of Shemayim. So the ladder went from the bottom to the top, from earth to heaven, and the Bet Mikdash is in the middle of that process. Anyway, I thought that was just the most amazing, clever interpretation. I, I, I hope you feel something of the same as well. Okay, um, that is the end of Rashi's first part. And then he says, And regarding what our rabbis said. So now he's going to turn to the Gemara in Chulin, Dafsadi Amath Omad Bet. And he's going to quote, or sort of more or less quote what the Gemara says. And this is another approach. So um, although I, I think pretty much everyone agrees, it doesn't say Dabaacher. It doesn't say Midrash Agada like Rashi sometimes does when he's introducing to go from a Bashat to a Midrash, but that is what he's doing. The first paragraph that we've just read about the ladder like this and Bet El not being the same as Yerushalayim, but one being at the top of the ladder, one being in the middle of the ladder, that's one answer, which I think, relatively speaking, we will call the Bashat. And now he brings a Midrash based on what Chazal say in the Gemara in Chulin. But interestingly, he also interprets what the Gemara in Cholin says, because it's not complete. Let me tell you what the Gemara in Cholin says. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, V'yetzi Yaakov mi'ber sheva v'yelech harana, u'ketiv v'yifgah b'makom. Yaakov went from Be'er Sheva and he went to Ma'acharon, and then it writes, he alighted on the place, or he met the place. Ki l'acharon, because once he'd arrived at Charon, Amar, he said, Perhaps I have passed over a place where my fathers davened, and I didn't daven. When he, gave, he, he made up his mind to return, the ground contracted, miyad immediately, and there he was alighting on the place. A word, so, so basically the Gemara says, and Rashi's not going to say something very different, but he's going to elucidate. The Gemara says, um, so I'm getting phone calls all over here. Gemara says that Yaakov made it all the way to Haran. He then thought, oh, maybe I've passed over somewhere where my father's davened. And he returned, and then there was Kavitsa Taderech. Kavitsa Taderech usually means a long journey was passed very quickly. We've already met Eliezer. When he went to Haran to find a wife for Yitzchak, he got there in one day. And that was an example of Kafitza Taderach, i.e. literally the, the ground contracts. But what it means is you cover distance very quickly. And Yaakov um, decided to return to a place where his fathers had davened, which was Ha-Hamaria, and he got there very quickly. That was Kafitza Taderach. Now, sorry, that was all by way of introduction. See how Rashi puts it. Regarding what our rabbi said, Sha'amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem said, Tzadik Zer Ba'alavet Maloni, this Tzadik has come to my hostel, V'yipater below Lina, and has departed without staying the night. V'omru Yaakov Karal Yerushalayim Beit El, and they also said that Yaakov called Yerushalayim Beit El, and it's Luz, and it's not Yerushalayim. And from where did they learn to say this? 
where did they learn to say that you what you that Yaakov called Beit El gave the Beit name Beit El to Yerushalayim? So a couple of things to say. Um, I hope by taking it so slowly we're not losing the flow. But what he's saying is Chazal said two things. First of all, that Yaakov passed through Hahamaria, and Hashem said, "Oi, my uh, this Sadik didn't stay the night in Hahamaria, which would have been a good place to stay. It's um, Bet Maloni. It's my hotel, if you like, my hostel, my place for Lina Bet Maloni, and he didn't stay the night. Point one. Point two." Chazal say, in another quote, which I didn't read for you, that Yaakov, when he called it Beit El, he called it Yerushalayim was called Beit El. And then Rashi says, but how can they say that? Because before it was called Beit El, it wasn't called Yerushalayim, it was called Luz. So where did they learn to say that Yaakov called it Beit El? Says Rashi, Ani Omer, I, Rashi, say. So I, Rashi, am going to give my interpretation of that Gemara. Shne'ekar ha-hamariya. Uba Lakan. Ha Hamaria was uprooted and it came to here. We'll see where here is in a minute. And this is the Kafitzat Haaretz, which is said in that part of the Gemara, which is the chapter called Shchitat Chulin. Shaba Beit Hamigash Likrato Ad Beit El, that the Bet Migdash came to meet him all the way to Bet El, the Zehu, and that's what's meant by Yifga Bamakom. He met the place. Okay, so we still haven't got the whole story. That's going to carry on in the next part of Rashi. But let's just say what we've got so far. First of all, when the Gemara says Kfitzat Aderech, or Kfitzat Aretz, the way the Gemara put it, it sounded like Yaakov gets to Haran, which Rashi's going to say in a minute anyway, and then Yaakov decides to go back, to Hahamaria, and he goes very quickly, and that's Kafitzata Aretz. Says Rashi, no. The Kafitzata Aretz, what the Gemara is talking about, is something new. Not what Kafitzata Aretz usually means, like traveling very quickly, like Eliezer. But Hahamaria got up and moved to where Yaakov was. Where was Yaakov? A place called Luz, which is now called Beit El. But where was it also? It was also Yerushalayim. Because Yerushalayim came to Beit El. And that is the point that Rashi is bringing. And remember, the question at the beginning was, how can Yaakov be in Beit El and call it Beit Elokim Shah HaShemayim, which sounds like a, a, a reference to HaHamaria. But if Yaakov's in Beit El, he's not in HaHamaria. Answers Rashi based on the Gemara, HaHamaria came to Yaakov in Beit El. And that's what's Kafitza Ta'aretz. Not that Yaakov traveled quickly, but part of the ground moved to where Yaakov was. And also now, Rezrashi, that is what's meant by Yifyama Makom. Now you might remember, because it was a few weeks ago, uh, the first Pasuk in Vayetse, Vayifgaba Makom, I said there's a problem with the word Vayifga. And Rashi had to bring proofs that it can refer to arriving at a place. And Rashi brought a couple of examples where you see that word pei gimel ayin in relation to arriving at a place. So that's why Yaakov could arrive at Hamaria. However, the reason Rashi was forced to bring those examples is because pei gimel ayin usually means two things meeting, not a person arriving at a fixed place, but two things meeting, usually two people meeting. 
So now Rashi has said, using this Gemara, that when Ha-Hamaria comes to Yaakov, that is Vayifgabamakom, because the two met. Now Rashi's got to fill out a bit more of the background. And this is also based on the Gemara, as we will see, but Rashi spells it out a bit more. The Imtomar, and if you want to say, Kasha'avar um, Yaakov al-Bet HaMikdash, when Yaakov passed through the Bet Mikdash, so according to the scenario we now have, Yaakov leaves Beersheba, travels all the way to Haran, and then goes back. So he passed through Hahamaria. Why didn't he stop there? And the answer is, Ihu lo yahib avotav. He did not pay attention or set his heart to pray in a place where his fathers had prayed. Now, as we will see in a minute, Avraham davened at Ha-Hamaria at the time of the Akedah. And we'll also see that the Midrash says Yitzchak davened at Ha-Hamaria. So it was a place where Avraham and Yitzchak had davened. So you might think that Yaakov wants to follow in the traditions of his father and grandfather and daven in the same place. You might think that, but apparently Yaakov didn't. He didn't pay attention. Says, continues the Gemara, so it continues Rashim, sorry. If he didn't pay attention, and he didn't make an effort to daven in the place where his fathers had davened him, umin hashamayim ya'akvuhu, from heaven he should be stopped there. In other words, the question is, why didn't Hashem stop him there as he passed through Ha-Hamaria the first time? And the answer is, if he can't be bothered, then Hashem is not going to force him to stay there. So he left because he didn't pay attention. He didn't have the intention of doubling where his fathers had doubled. Continues Rashi, Ihu ad Charon azal. He made it all the way to Charon. As we find in another Gemara, in the chapter Gid Hanasha. And the Kura Mochiach and the Pasuk proves it where it says Vayele Harana. He went to Haran. Kimat, uh, sorry, I'll pause for a minute. Again, Rashi is going completely in reverse of what Rashi said earlier. As I said, I reminded us that on the opening Pasuk, Vayele Harana, Rashi made the point of saying he didn't get all the way there, he went on the way there because before he got there, he stopped and had a dream. Now Rashi is saying Vayelech Harana means what it sounds like. He got all the way to Haran. Kimata Haran. When he reached Haran, Amar, he then said, Is it possible that I've passed over a place where my father's davened, and I didn't daven in it? He gave, he paid attention, he set his heart to return. The Chazar ad Bet El. And he got all the way to Bet El, the Kavtsalo Haaretz. And the ground was contracted for him, which Rashi's already said means that Ha came to him. So that is the whole story. There's another paragraph which we'll come to in a minute. That is the whole story. So, number one, approach number one. Um, how can we say that he the dream was he got up after the dream and he said this is Beit El but he also said in Bet Elokim this is how God's house which sounds like Ha Maria answer number one the elevation of the ladder that he was in Beit El but Yerushalayim was in the middle of the ladder answer number two based on the Gemara is that 
The main point is Ha-Ha-Maria came to him in Beit El. So he was in Beit El and he was in Yerushalayim because the two converged. More detail, he went all the way to Haran, as the Pasuk says, Vayera Harana. And just by the way, this is an interesting example. This clearly with mountains moving and, and weird things like that sounds a bit more Midrashic. But in some respects, it's more Pshat because it's got the word Vayela Harana interpreted in the more literal fashion. He went to Haran and then he came back. Then he came back because he wanted a daven in a place where his father was a daven, which he hadn't thought of previously. And then the mountain came to him. And again, we have a better interpretation, if you like, a more pshat orientated interpretation of the word vayifka makom, Because vayifka normally means two things coming together. So in the case of this miraculously midrashic sounding mountain coming to him, it actually fits the pshat of vayifka makom better. Um, so there's various ways that you can argue one's better than the other, which is probably why Avra Rashi brings both. The first one is a bit more pshat orientated because we don't have mountains moving. Um, the muscular David says also there's an advantage of the second one when Yaakov says Ein ki im bet elokim, it sounds like he's surprised. He doesn't say zeh bet elokim. He says, and I'll paraphrase into English, my goodness, what is it? Oh wow, it's bet elokim which sounds like he didn't anticipate where he was, which fits, says the muscular David, with the second interpretation, that he was minding his own business in Beit El, and the mountain came to him. A few more uh, loose ends to tidy up. If the mountain came to him, why didn't it go all the way to Haran? He's in Haran, he's made it all the way to Haran, then he says, ah, I need to daven where my father's davened. Uh, what actually happened is he made it all the way back to Beit El, and then Ha Maria came to Beit El. Why doesn't Ha Maria come to Haran? So the, the Maharal says that couldn't happen because Haran is outside Eretz Yisrael, and Ha Maria, the holiest place in the world, is not going to leave Eretz Yisrael. Ah, so maybe it can come all the way to the border of Eretz Yisrael. So the answer to that is given that. So Hashem wants Yaakov to get some schar halicha, some merit for the journey. So he wants him to make an effort and do some of the journeying, and he goes to Beit El, and then Hashem does the rest by bringing Ha-Ha-Maria to Beit El. One more thing I just want to say is, I remember learning this years ago with my Rosh Hashiva Rabbi Provinder, and I can remember the way he told the story, because his voice is very, and his uh, intonation is very particular. And I remember him saying, you see, and I, this is my words, not his, but you see from this, when you want to find the best place to daven, it will come to you. You need to have that intention, and then the best place to daven will come to you. Um, I think that's all I want to say on that. There's probably lot, there is lots, lots more, but there's uh, we've got to get on. We've got to get through this. And now let's look at the. Um, no, one more question. One more question is why did he have to get all the way to Haran to then think about where his fathers had davened? So. Um, uh, yeah, it's the Maharal who answers that by saying while he was on his way to Haran, he was in fear. He was in dread of Esau chasing after him or one of Esau's sons chasing after him, which later on we'll find that Rashi says is what happened. Only when he got to Haran did he feel that weight off his shoulders and he felt safe. And only then could he start thinking, ah, maybe I've missed a good place to daven. That's why he goes all the way to Haran and then comes back. Um, the next thing I want to say is the next paragraph in Rashi. Now, the next paragraph in Rashi is interesting because in most Chumashim it says it's based on Rashi Meduyak, a precise version of Rashi, 
which I'm not quite sure what it means, and it's wrong, because it is probably not original Rashi. It's one of those paragraphs, we've come across a few, which is inserted at some stage into the text of Rashi. And it often appears in square brackets to show you that it really shouldn't be there. Um, we'll learn it because it's interesting, but I will assume that it's not real Rashi, which means we don't have to answer the question of why it's here. So Rashi gives a bit more background here about Beit El. He says, Hi Beit El, lo hasomuch la'ai, ela liyirushalayim. This Beit El is not the one that is near to Ai. Ai was the place where Yoshua fought a, fought a battle. But it's near to Yerushalayim. The truth is Beit El is a pretty common name, and there's more than one Beit El. So this Rashi, which isn't really Rashi, is telling you which Beit El it is. But Al-Shem, Yehiyeh Beit Elokim, Kara'o Beit El. And because Yaakov said, if I come back safely, this will be Bet Elokim, that's why he called it Beit El. Vahu Ha Hamaria Shehit Palel Bo Avraham. It is the Ha Hamaria that Avraham davened at. Vahu Sadeh Shehit Palel Bo Yitzchak. And it is also the field where Yitzchak davened. Kedichtev, as it writes, Lasuach Basadeh to go to meditate in the field. We know at the end of Pashat Chayisara, as Rivka returns, she falls off her camel at the sight of Yitzchak, Yitzchak Lasuach Basadeh. Yitzchak went out to meditate in the field. Chazal say he was instituting the tefillah of Mincha. What Chazal also say at this point is the field was not just any field. It was Ha Hamaria. So Ya Avraham Davan there, Yitzchak, we're now told, also daven there. Dahachi Amrinam Babasachim continues Rashi. This is what we say in the Gemara and Basachim. El Har Hashem ve El Bet Yaakov. Let's go to the mountain of God and to the house of the God of Yaakov. Continues the Gemara. My Shana Yaakov. Why is Yaakov different? Why Avraham goes to a mountain, but the same place is a house for Yaakov? Eleloka Avraham Shakaru Har. But this place is, we're going to now regard it, not like Avraham, who called it a mountain, because Avraham said he named the place after the Akedah, um, Yeru, because in the mountain of God he will be seen. Not like Yitzchak, who called it a field, because it says by Yitzchak he went out to meditate in the field. Yaakov, like rather, will 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 name it like Yaakov did, who called it a house. Now that last bit is interesting, and I'll come back to it. But it's all about saying that these three places where Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov davened, they were all the same. That's why this non-Rashi Rashi quotes the Gemara in Pesachim to show you that this Beit El was Yerushalayim, where Yaakov davened, which was also where Yitzhak davened, which was also where Abraham davened. Since we mentioned it, let's just talk for a minute about this interesting, very interesting Midrash that says Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov all davened in the same place, but they called it something different. Abraham called it a mountain, a har, Yitzhak called it a sadeh, and Yaakov called it a bayit. So there's a common idea that this reflects the role of the three avot. Abraham was the originator, he was the pioneer. He was the one who literally and metaphorically climbed the mountain and reached new heights that no one had ever reached before. Yitzchak's role was different. Yitzchak, the, the, one of the other we know the least about, 
Yitzchak seems sometimes to be no more than the bridge between Avraham and Yaakov. Ah, but then if you're a bridge between Avraham and Yaakov, that's a pretty great bridge to be. But Yitzchak did not originate, did not scale new heights. Yitzchak was an era of consolidation. He made the work of his father carry on. We see that in particular with the digging of the wells, which might be a metaphor for something bigger as well. So what is the a geographical feature of consolidation? It's a field. It's a place where you sow. It's a place where things grow. It's not a mountain that you climb. And then Yaakov, what is Yaakov all about? So, so many times, and uh, yeah, probably tonight we'll come across one of them, Yaakov is very, very focused on building a family. And Yaakov wants to raise up a number of children, and it's very important to him that they all stay, as we would say today, on the derech. And it's a crisis for him if he thinks maybe they haven't, because he wants to build the first Jewish family, which will set the scene for every Jewish family in the future. And that's why, for him, it's not a hard mountain, it's not a sadeh, a field, it's a bayit. Yaakov is at all times trying to build his house, build his home, build his family. So that's one explanation of that comment in the Gemara and Pesachim, which sort of cries out for explanation. Avram called it a mountain because he was the pioneer. Yitzchak called it a sadeh, because he, a field, because he was the consolidator. Yaakov called it a bayit because he was trying to build the first Jewish home. And that concludes that Rashi. I have to say, um, for years, I was befuddled and confused by that Rashi. The key point is the break between what I call the first paragraph and the second paragraph. And to understand the first paragraph is one approach to the question. That's the ladder at the angle. And Yerushalayim's in the middle, Beitel's at the top. The second approach is brought in the name of Chazal, who say this, this idea that the mountain moved to where he was. So Beit El became Yerushalayim as well because the two moved together. That concludes that long comment of Rashi. And now we'll move on to the next comment of Rashi, which is on the words Ma Norah. So if you remember, the Pasuk said, Yaakov uh, wakes up and he says, Ma Norah Hamakom Hazer. How Norah is this place. Now, Nora means awesome. It's a pretty good translation. It, it's the uh, Hufal of Yira, so a place which is feared, Nora. Um, so, or, or, well, okay, let's pause. I won't say any more. Let's see what Rashi says. Targum, the Aramaic translation of Targum Onkelos is Ma Dehilu, Dehilu, sorry, Atra Hadein. Dechilu, continues Rashi, so Atra Hadein is this place, Ma is Ma, Dechilu is the translation of Nora. Says Rashi, Dechilu Shem Devar Hu, Kamo Suchlatanu Uchasu Lemalbush. So there's a bit of a problem here, a fundamental problem in understanding what Rashi means by Shem Devar. It's a, it's a grammatical term. Unfortunately, Rashi uses it to mean two different things. Sometimes he uses it to mean a noun, and sometimes he uses it to mean an adjective. And it is a bit awkward when he's telling you it's a particular grammatical part of speech, but it's hard to work out which one he means, either a noun or an adjective. And this phrase of Rashi can be read both ways. Probably it's easiest to read it as saying that Shem Devar here means a noun, the name of a thing, as opposed to the description of a thing. So it's probably easier to say that Shem Devar means a noun. And Rashi is telling you that Dechilu 
is a noun. Now, again, next thing that's unclear. Is Rashi explaining our Pasuk in Hebrew? Or is Rashi doing what he sometimes does and explains the Targum for readers of the Targum? So we can, again, read it both ways. Either Rashi is saying, I'll tell you what Dechilu means, because Dechilu is the way he translates um, Nora. The Dalad is the suffix. Chilu is the noun. And he says, Chilu is a noun. You might have thought otherwise. So this is Rashi explaining the Targum. You might have thought otherwise because of the Cholam, um, on the, sorry, the Shuruk on the end. Um, the Shuruk, U, doesn't look like a noun. It looks like a verb. But Rashi says, no, Dechilu is a noun, just like, and he gives a couple of examples of things that look with that same U ending, but they are actually nouns. Kamo suchlatanu, which is the Aramaic for tavuna, understanding. Ukesu, which is Aramaic for clothing, lemalbish, to wear. So he's brought two other examples, which both have an U on the end, and they are nouns. So dechilu is a noun. So that's alternative one, uh, oh, sorry, explanation one. Rashi is just explaining what the Targum means. Explanation two, which is a variant of, of number one, is that Rashi wants to tell you that Nora is a noun. And that is why Unculus translates it by a noun. Because Ma Nora, how do you understand Nora? So Rashi is telling you it's a noun. It means awesomeness or perhaps or. Ma Nora Hamakom Hazer, how much or is in this place. And now that would explain the meaning of the word nora. It would also explain a deeper idea that Rashi is saying it's not that the place itself is awesome, but there is or noun in the place. Ma nora hamakomazer. This place has got so much nora or. Now why is it got so much or? Because the shechina is placed there. So the Shechina is awesome. Shechina generates awe around it. So Rashi is telling you that Nora is a noun. How do I know that? Because Unculus translates it as a noun. And look how it's of a noun form. A meaning Nora is a noun. So it's not that the place is described as awesome. But there is awe in the place which is a function of the Shechina being there. Or we can say... That Rashid means Shemdavar as he often does as an adjective. And if you look carefully, this is where it gets very clever. The word Sukhlatanu and the word Chasu are sort of adjectival nouns because understanding can also be an adjective. If you've got understanding, it can mean you are people who understand. If you've got clothing, that is a description of someone who is clothed. They're both words sort of on the cusp. Easier to say it's a noun but possible to say it's an adjective. In which case, Rashi could be saying that Dechilu is an adjective. It's a shame devar, which Rashi could mean adjective. There is also a possibility that this is a corrupted text. And originally, the Unculus and Rashi's quoting the Unculus was slightly different, but I don't want to go in there. Um, but Rashi is saying it's an adjective. Why would Rashi be saying it's an adjective? Well, this could be a simple grammatical point. Because whenever you find ma, word how something in the Tanakh I haven't checked but something I read had checked and said it's always an adjective ma something is not a noun it's never a noun except possibly this one it's always an adjective how wonderful is this place how big is this place how small is this place that sort of thing um, and therefore it could be that Rashi is saying 
that nora, even though it might think it's a noun, is dafka not a noun, it is an adjective. How awesome is this place? And if shem devar means adjective, then Unculus is showing you that uh, Rashi is showing that Unculus uses an adjective to translate Nora. So I'm sorry that's so vague. Um, I'm sorry there are so many permutations of how to read that Rashi, but sometimes that's how it goes. The starting point is the word Shem Devar. Does it mean adjective? Does it mean noun? Unfortunately, it could mean both. And then if it's a noun, is Rashi just talking about Unculus or is Rashi talking about the Pasuk? And if it's an adjective, what is Rashi talking about? And let's go on to the next comment. Says Rashi, says the Chumash, Zer Shah Hashemayim. This is the gate of heaven. Says Rashi, Mokom Tefila La'alot Tefilatam Hashemayma. It's a place of prayer, but the prayers can go up to heaven or to, tend, to take up the prayers to heaven. Then Rashi says, Umidrasho, and the Midrash, Shebeit Hamigdash Shalmala, Makuvan Keneged Beit Hamigdash Shalmata. The Bet Mikdash of heaven is directed opposite the Bet Mikdash down here on earth. So, what's the problem? The problem is, what does Rashi mean by Shah HaShemayim? What does it mean that uh, that's the gate of heaven? Heavens don't have gates. So what does it mean? Answer number one, it's the entrance to heaven because it's a good place for prayers to go up. Answer number two, it's more precise than that. It's connecting to a single point in heaven, the Bet Mikdash, which is where we offer karbanot, where we offer prayers, is the Shah HaShemayim. So, but we're not in the Bet Mikdash. Sorry, the Bet Mikdash is not in heaven. Ah, it sort of is because it's connected to the Bet Mikdash in heaven. There's a Bet Mikdash in heaven, it's a Bet Mikdash on earth, and they're linked together, and you can go, as it were, from one to the other. So even if you're in the Bet Mikdash on earth, you are at the Shah HaShemayim. Now, I want to talk for a minute about the interrelation between the two parts of Rashi. Simple answer is, to, I mean, the usual answer, and probably possibly the, the most correct one, is to say this is two different answers. The first is Pshat, the second is Midrash. The second answers perhaps answers Shah HaShemayim better, but it involves this Midrashic idea of the heavens being up and down. Sorry, the Bet Midrash being up and down. Um, the Nachalat Yaakov says this is not two separate answers. It's one answer. And when Rashi says umidrasho, that is not as it sometimes means, this is an alternative midrashic explanation, but rather the midrash which explains the first bit is as follows. In other words, the first bit is, this is the place that prayers go up to heaven. You know why? The midrash tells you that this is the place where the Bet Mikdash Shomata is related to the Bet Mikdash Shomala. So if you're standing in the Bet Mikdash Shomata, then obviously your prayers are going to go up to the Bet Mikdash Shomala, which explains why it's a mokom tefila la'alot tefilotam hashamayma, as he said in the first part. But um, I'd like to share my own chiddush, which I didn't see anywhere. It doesn't mean nobody's thought of it before me. But it seems to me that you can say the two parts of Rashi here match up with the two parts of Rashi that we've spent most of this evening on. If Beit El is not the same as Yerushalayim, but it's just a good place, and it's a place that is so nice you're going to call it Beit El, then what he means is, what, what, what Yaakov means is, this place which is Beit El is Shah HaShemayim because it's a good place to daven. As, as has been seen. I mean, after all, I had this divine revelation here in Beit El. Says the second explanation we learned earlier, that Yaakov was in Ha'ha Maria because Ha'ha Maria came to Beit El. 
And therefore, Rashi says, he calls it Shah HaShemayim because Shabbat HaMikdash Shalmala can Makuvan Keneged Beit HaMikdash Shalmata. In other words, he said Shah HaShemayim because he was in the Bet Mikdash, which is the second explanation of Rashi based on the Gemara. According to the first explanation of Rashi here, on Zeshah HaShemayim, he wasn't Dafkit in the Bet Mikdash, which is why we don't mention the Bet Mikdash in the first answer, because that corresponds to the first answer above, the, the ladder was at an angle, he was in Bet El, and he wasn't in Yerushalayim. Okay? Any questions? So, we have finished Pasuk Yud Zion. A lot of work there. Let's go on to Pasuk Yud Chet. Vayashkem Yaakov Baboke. Yaakov woke up early in the morning. It's always a good trait for everyone to go to Hashkama Minyam. I'll just say as a, a aside, I love this comment, that um, uh, there's somebody else um, who had a dream. Paro had a dream. He dreamt about um, seven cows, eating seven cows. And he woke up. And after he woke up from his dream, he went back to sleep and he had another dream. Yaakov Avinu had a dream. He woke up from the dream. And what did he do? Vayashkem Yaakov Baboker. Yaakov got up early in the morning. That's the difference between Yaakov and Paro. Yaakov wakes up early and gets up. Paro wakes up early and rolls over and goes back to sleep. Which one is the better role model? I'll leave that for you. Anyway, what did Yaakov do? He got up early in the morning. And he took the stone which he had placed, as we said earlier, around his head. And he set it up as a pillar. And he poured oil on its head. No Rashi. I think Rashi gave us a little bit of a break after working so hard on Yud Zion that he gives us a break for Yud Chet and for Yud Tet. He called the name of that place Bet El. And Luz was the name of the city beforehand. And we've discussed that Pasuk as well. And then Pasuk Kaf. Now we're not going to be able to get much further tonight. Um, but Pasuk Kaf is the beginning of a one long train of Yaakov's words. So just bear that in mind. We're not going to finish his speech um, tonight. But it starts in Pasuk Kaf. Vayedar Yaakov neder. And Yaakov made a vow. Lemur saying, Im elokim imadi. If Hashem will be with me, Ushmarani, and he will guard me, on this way, Asher Anochi Holech, on which I am going, and he will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear. And uh, that sentence is not finished because Yaakov carries on talking about things, but we'll see Rashi on this Pasuk. So Rashi starts by saying, Im elokim imodi. On the words of Yaakov, If God will be with me, Im yishmor li haftachot halalu shehivtichani lihiyot imodi. If he will guard for me, or keep for me, these promises that he promised me to be with me, kamosha amarali, as he said to me, Hashem said, I will be with you. And as we will see, that Yaakov is basically, the way Rashi sees it, delineating each one of Hashem's promises. Interesting enough, not quite in order. 
But if you remember in Pasuk Tet Vav, Hashem said to Yaakov, Hinei anochi imach, behold I am with you, ushmarticha v'chol and I will guard you wherever you will go, v'hashivoticha, and I will bring you back, el ha'adama hazot, to this land, ki lo e'ezavcha, I will not leave you, until I've done what, I, what I've said about you. So Hashem said, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to guard you, I'm going to bring you back, I'm not going to leave you. So remember those things. So according to Rashi, Yaakov is basically saying, if you do all those things. Now, two points to raise. Number one, let's see what Rashi is saying very carefully and very cleverly on, on our Pasuk. Yaakov uses the words, Im elokim imadi, If Hashem will be with me. Says Rashi, that doesn't mean if Hashem will be with me. But rather, im yishmor li haftachot halalu, if you will keep the promises, shahivtichani lihiyoti madiv, you promise me that you'll be with me. In other words, Yaakov is not doubting or questioning that Hashem is going to be with him. I mean, of course Hashem is with him. Hashem is with everywhere. Hashem is omnipotent, omniscient, um, um, and Hashem is everywhere. So it cannot be that he's saying, if Hashem will be with me, as if Hashem might not be with me. But there's something extra. Hashem promised that he would be with me. So maybe he won't keep that promise. So it sounds to me like there's two levels of Hashem being with one. There's the natural Hashem is with everyone. And in addition, Hashem gave a special promise to Yaakov that he'll be with him. So Rashi's saying it's not the Sug Aleph type that Hashem is everywhere, but it's the special type that Hashem promised, that Yaakov is now saying, if Hashem will keep that promise. But this obviously raises an obvious question, how can Yaakov doubt that Hashem will keep any promise? Of course Hashem is going to keep a promise. But Yaakov does have a reason to doubt that, as does everyone in fact. If we look in Perak Lamad Bet, Pasuk Yud Aleph, that is the Pasuk where Yaakov is preparing to meet Esau again after all those years. And he says famously, Katanti Mikolachasidim. I have become small from all the kindnesses. Um, says Rashi there, Nitma'atu Zuchuyatai, my merits have become smaller or fewer, through the kindnesses and the truth that you've done with me. Says, continues Rashi, this is the key point. So, sorry, I should have prefaced it. When Yaakov preparing to meet Esau, he's scared and he davens and he says again, if Hashem will look after me. So why does he doubt that Hashem will look after him? Hashem promised. So he says, This is Rashi on Yud, Lamad Bet Yud Aleph. This is why I'm afraid. Shema Mishehiv Tachtani, perhaps from the time that you made those promises to me, Nit Kalkalti Bachet. I spoiled it through sin. And that caused me, in this particular case, to be handed over into the hand of Esau. Says Yaakov, every promise that Hashem has made to me is conditional on my behavior. If I sin, I lose the merit and I lose the protection of the promise. So Rashi says that there, but it obviously applies here as well. That here, Yaakov is saying, thank you, Hashem, you've just given me this dream, you promised me one, two, three, four. And I am going to say, if you keep promise one, if you keep promise two, if you keep promise four, if you keep promise three, because he changes the order, then such and such will happen. So Yaakov is going through those promises, and he says, says Rashi, if you keep each promise, 
But what we, are, we can certainly say is what he means is, if I am worthy of the promises being kept. And then Yaakov continues the words, Ushmorani, and that Hashem should guard me. Kamosha Amarli, just as Hashem said to me with the words, Ushmaticha Bachol Asheh Telech. I will guard you wherever you go. Um, that is in Pasuk Tet Vav. Again, that's where the four promises are. And the second one is Ushmaticha Bachol Asheh Telech. So Yaakov, according to Rashi, is now relating back to that promise when he says Ushmarani. And then he comes to the third part, and I think this will be the last thing we'll do tonight. And gives to me bread to eat. Now, interestingly, in the Pasuk, in the promise in Tetvab, there was nothing about bread. There was no specifics about food, or for that matter, clothing. <clears throat> Um, which Yaakov mentions here, Lechem Le'echol Uveged Lilbosh. But Rashi on the words Vanatanli Lechem Le'echol says, Kamosha Amar, just like Hashem had said, Kilo E'ezavcha, I will not leave you. So Rashi is matching up Yaakov's words with Hashem's words. Here we have something that doesn't really match. Yaakov talks about bread and clothes, bread to eat and clothes to wear. Hashem didn't mention that in his promises, but Rashi says, ah, we can match it up with the promise where Hashem said, lo e'ezevcha, I will not leave you. Because, continues Rashi, hamavakesh lechem hu karui ne'ezav. Someone who seeks bread, who begs for bread, is called ne'ezav, neglected, or left alone, Hashem having left him. Shne'emar, as we have a pasuk which is quite well known, the sadik lachem. I have never seen a tzaddik neezav uh, abandoned. That's probably the word I was looking for, and his children begging for bread. Now, another time we can talk about what that pasuk means. It cannot be taken literally because we often, tragically, in our history, have seen tzaddikim with their children begging for bread. But we'll put that question on one side. The point of Rashi bringing the Pasuk is the connection between Ne'ezav and Mavakesh Lachem. People who are abandoned are those who are begging for bread. So when Yaakov says, if you give me bread, that means you don't abandon me. That means you fulfill the promise that Hashem said, Kilo E'ezavcha, I will not abandon you. Now perhaps we can explain the connection uh, that the Pasuk about brings out as the follows that when Hashem leaves somebody that means they're not a constant presence when they are there when they haven't left they are a constant presence and therefore Yaakov identifies that constant presence as by giving the things that he constantly needs what does he constantly need food and clothing he's traveling he doesn't need a house um, one day he'll get a wife. Right now, the urgent necessities that he needs on a continual basis are food and clothing. So Rashi says, when Yaakov says, if you give me lechem le'echol uveged lilbosh, that is Yaakov referring back to the promise of lo um, I will not depart from you, I will not abandon you. And Rashi brings the Pasuk to show that abandoning is a lack of bread, so when Yaakov says, please give me, uh, give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, that is a fulfillment of Hashem saying, I will not abandon you. 
and we can suggest perhaps that clothes and food are the things which people need all the time and the absence of them would be evidence that Hashem is no longer with them as it were but has abandoned them. Okay we will stop there. So we finished Kaf Aleph, uh, so we finished Kaf, that's right we finished Kaf but as I say Yaakov's tefillah which is what it is and his what he's saying to God continues in Kaf Aleph and in Kaf Bet. And that's what we'll do in Mir Hashem next week, which I think will still be on Zoom. So at this point, I invite any questions. I invite questions throughout the whole share, but this time sometimes questions come up, but not tonight. So I will say thank you very much and see you next week. So much. Thank you so much.